What is the gospel and how does it impact our lives? Those are some of the most important questions we can ask ourselves on a regular basis. Tonight we'll be looking at Colossians 2, specifically focusing on verses 13 through 15. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 2, which is found on page 984 if you're using a pew Bible. While you're turning there, consider those questions. What is the gospel? What is its impact? The Colossian believers had a hard time reminding themselves of the truth of the gospel and of the difference it made. Paul wrote his letter to the Colossian believers to encourage them and instruct them. In Colossians 2 and 3, Paul writes three main points to the Colossians. First, apart from Christ, people are dead in sin and sinfulness. Second, God in Christ has provided a remedy. And third, the gospel has a huge impact on who Christians are and on how they live their lives. And because you and I, like the Colossians, have a hard time reminding ourselves of these truths and of the impact of the gospel, we'll look at those three points as well. Dead, apart from Christ, God's remedy in Christ, and the impact of the gospel. Please follow along with me as I read Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the first thing that Paul brings to our attention is the condition of people. He says, you are dead, or you were dead. The state in which the Colossian believers were, apart from Christ, was a state of death. They were dead and under the dominion of death. How do we think of death? Often at funerals, we hear that death is a kind release from the curse of the fall. But that's not the witness of the Bible, is it? Death does not reverse the curse. Death is the curse. Death is terrible. Death is hopeless, lifeless. Those who are dead have no future apart from Christ except death. The condition of people apart from Christ is death. So why are people in this state of death apart from Christ? And Paul gives two reasons for what has put people in this condition of death. Trespasses and the uncircumcision of their flesh. So the first way in which people are spiritually dead is in their trespasses. And the resultant record of debt indicts them. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Each person has a record of debt calling for their death. Do we feel the weight of this record of debt in our lives? You and I, just like the Colossians, were once dead in our trespasses. We had a record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And it called for our eternal death. Do we minimize this in our thinking? Do we try to push it away as if our record 
is somehow shorter or less gruesome than someone else's? If we minimize our trespasses against a holy God, if we try to explain away our record of debt, we pridefully rob God of worship and minimize the worth of what Christ has done to redeem us. The other way in which people are spiritually dead apart from Christ is in the uncircumcision of their flesh. Paul has already shown that people are dead apart from Christ because of their acts of rebellion. But now he says they are dead in the uncircumcision of their flesh. And he shows that this means they are dead because they live in a perpetual state of rebellion. We read in the Old Testament that the law presents a conditional promise. Do this and live. Life was conditional on keeping the law. Circumcision is linked very closely with the law. Galatians 5.3 says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Romans 2.25 says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Circumcision pointed to God's law and said, Do this and live. Otherwise, you will be cursed. Our passage tonight says that the Colossians were dead because of the uncircumcision of their flesh. Paul uses the word flesh to talk about our sinful nature. Paul says to the Colossians, Your very nature is uncircumcised. The law says do this and live, but you have a law-breaking heart, an uncircumcised heart. Not only are you dead because of your trespasses, you are dead because your heart is not circumcised. It's not just our record of wrongs that needs saving, it's our fundamental wrongness. We need saving because we are sinners and because we are sinful. The second portion of our passage tonight focuses on what God has done in Christ to remedy this human condition of deadness. Having talked about death apart from Christ, consider now the remedy in Christ. To better understand our passage, we should go back and look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. So please follow along as I read. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we see in those verses the participation of believers with their union with Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. In Christ's death, he was circumcised or cut off from God. And his body was cut off from his soul. The prophet Isaiah says that Christ was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of his people. Paul says that in Christ, we were circumcised with a circumcision that was made without hands. Through our union with Christ, as he accomplished redemption, as Christ was circumcised from God and his body was circumcised from his soul, our hearts were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is the circumcision that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. 
And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. This is the answer to our sinfulness. Our law-breaking, sinful heart has been circumcised in Christ. Our participation with Christ in His death and resurrection, when He was cut off from God for us, He cut off our sinful nature. Our hearts were circumcised so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. But what about our record of wrongs? Doesn't it still stand against us to indict us? Calling for our death? Earlier I read in Romans 2 that if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Everyone who has ever been circumcised has broken the law except one. Jesus was born under the law and kept the law perfectly. And yet he chose willingly to die for his people who each had broken the law and who each had a long record of wrongs. The penalty for breaking the law was a curse. Jesus became a curse for us. He took our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus became our record of debt. And do you know what God did to our record of debt? He cursed him and nailed him to a cross. God took Jesus, who became our record of debt, and poured out his wrath on him so that he could give us Christ's perfect righteousness. He forgave us all our trespasses and canceled our record of debt. Does that humble you and cause you to worship? Tonight, we get to worship Christ through the table. In the supper, we look back at Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and our union with Him as He accomplished our redemption, redeeming us from our sins and our sinfulness. But before we move on, let me offer a word of warning. If you have not turned from your sin... If you do not have an affection for Christ and His Word, then you are outside of Christ. Your heart has not been circumcised in Him, and none of His saving benefits apply to you. You are still dead. If this is you, I plead with you to turn from your sins and embrace Christ instead. Jesus commands you and invites you to humbly follow Him and obey Him as King instead of rebelling and being your own king. Jesus commands and invites you to rely on Him as the remedy for your sins and your sinfulness. I plead with you tonight to listen to Him and respond to Him. If you'd like to talk more about this, please do not hesitate to talk to me or one of the elders. So we've talked about how Christ in His death made a remedy for our sins and our sinfulness. But it doesn't stop there. Christ beat death. Jesus reversed the curse. God has raised us up with Christ in Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. We are no longer dead. We have been raised with Christ. Living the Christian life is living the resurrection life. God has triumphed over sin and death in Christ. The rulers and authorities that we read about in Colossians 2 
are those evil powers and beings which hold up the record of debt of people and call for their death. But God has canceled our record of debt. So there is nothing that they have, no basis on which they can accuse us. They've been totally disarmed. This reminds us of Psalm 108 this morning, where we read that God in Christ valiantly treads down his foes. In Christ, God has triumphed over sin and death. And the rest of history will be the story of God dragging those authorities as conquered prisoners in his triumphal procession. Tonight, during the supper, we also look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will dine with our King and worship Him for His triumph. So where does this bring the Colossian believers? And where does it bring us? Having discussed the content of the Gospel, namely the need for Christ and the remedy in Christ, let's consider our final point, the impact of the Gospel. The Colossian church struggled with identity. They struggled with the arguments of the false teachers, with their philosophy, empty deceit, and asceticism. Paul counters this with the truth of the gospel. Believers are complete in Christ. Nothing needs to be added to the work of Christ or to who believers are in Christ. The rulers and authorities will try to discourage you and make you think that Christ isn't enough. But you need no other argument against them than Christ's inclusion of you in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Believers are complete in Christ. My encouragement to you and to myself tonight is the same as Paul's encouragement to the Colossians. Remember the truth of the gospel. You and I are complete in Christ. But lest the Colossian believers think that the resurrection life is a passive life, Paul exhorts the Colossians throughout the rest of the book to pursue holiness because of the resurrection. We have been raised to life with Christ. Act like it. Live the resurrection life. In the gospel, we see both indicatives and imperatives. The gospel contains both encouragement and exhortation. Colossians 3 is a beautiful expression of how the indicatives and the imperatives of the gospel work together. Imagine playing for a coach who knew for a fact, 100%, that your team would win the game. In the middle of the fourth quarter, he'd look at you and say, I know for 100% fact that we will win this football game. Now go get some touchdowns. That's what God does in the gospel. He says, I know for 100% fact that you will be raised on the last day because my son has been raised. Now go fight sin. Be holy. Love Jesus. This is how God uses the imperatives and the indicatives together in the gospel. Through Paul in Colossians 3. Here's Paul's encouragement, or, sorry, yeah, encouragement to the Colossians and to us. You've been raised with Christ. King Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God. And you are in him. Here's Paul's exhortation to the Colossians and to us. Seek the things of Christ. Don't live as if you are under Satan's dominion. Jesus has triumphed over him. Live as if you are a subject 
of King Jesus. Here's Paul's encouragement to the Colossians and to us. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. You are already participating in the resurrection life of the Son. The day the Son comes back and is revealed in glory is the day that those who are in Him will also be revealed in glory. Here's Paul's exhortation to the Colossians and to us. Put to death immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness, anger, idolatry, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. Those things do not belong in the resurrection life. Put them to death. Put them away. Instead, pursue the things of the resurrection life. The things that mark God's chosen, holy, and beloved children. Demonstrate the already but not yet of who you are in Christ, even as you wait for His return in glory. So here's my encouragement to you and to myself tonight. You have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, and been raised with Christ. He is the remedy for the sins you've committed and the remedy to your sinfulness. You are complete in Christ. And here's my exhortation to you and to myself tonight. Live like it. Act like who you already are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we worship you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have revealed to us. We thank you that you have included us in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son and that King Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. And so we worship you and we give glory to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.